Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, where niches need. I'm your producer, Ben, alongside your director, Matt. One more week without Monty, but that is okay because we have a stellar show prepared here for you. Matt, are you ready to talk about not only a seminal literary effort, but also the lyrical miracles of the pro wrestling scene? Yeah, I, I, I'm ready to talk pros. Today's episode is all about the ability to write. Uh, and, and, and to some, some extent. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, it really is. And the performance of said writing. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting episode. Uh, we're going to uh, fluctuate, I think, really beautifully from a very like serious uh, interesting uh, literary discussion to a very niche kind but of neat musical uh, exploration of both culture and region. Um, but Ben, before we do that, I have a question for you. Yeah. How you doing? How was your week? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I know we're a little strapped for time, so I want to get right into it um i will say i finally saw in movie theaters matt you (gasps) said i don't watch enough movies in theaters so i supported my local cinema and i went to see the haunted mansion movie oh what'd you think i didn't get a chance to see it i i read like it was fine reviews and uh that wasn't enough to motivate me so if you like Disney theme parks, yeah, it is the best theme park movie of all time. Pirates of the Caribbean. No, this is better. If you like the theme park, uh, okay, it but- has every single gag from the ride. It doesn't stray too far from the lore. Whoever put that movie together loves the Haunted Mansion, and it's great. Characters pretty good um the plot basic but fine it's way better than other versions of the movie i've seen floating around in the past Mm -hmm. it's a good movie like if you have like but like is it a but pirates of the caribbean is without the ride a great movie are you saying that this is a better adaptation of a ride yes Okay, that yeah, that I that in, I've also in terms heard. of like movie quality, Pirates of the Caribbean is probably like a four out of five, and this is like a three and a half. What okay. I am saying is that when this comes out on Disney Plus, inevitably mm-hmm. in October, <gasps> if you have kids, yeah. like this is going to be like their Halloween movie they grow up with. I'll I'll watch this as part of my thirty one and thirty one. Like it's, I'll totally it's do that. It's it's good. It's yeah. Good. It's it's not it's not like the best movie I've ever seen. I but like it. Doesn't, it doesn't way have more. To be. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know how they got a hundred fifty million dollar budget on it. Like that's insane. Star to Wars. Me. But you know it 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 is what it is. Um, and Danny DeVito's in it too. So that's that's Man, good. That's an extra charm right there. That's right, Matt. Any uh, a- any quick anecdotes you want to lay on us with before we move into our main segi 
of the show? Uh, no, I don't got anything too heavy to lay down here. I'm continuing my journey of reading, um, an exceptional amount of lit RPG. Um, I am very close, um, to completing the second novel in a series. And once I have that, and I got two of the seven books under my belt, I'll make sure to give them a formal shout out on the podcast, but we'll see because the teacher needs to grade his work. Um, but otherwise uh, I'm just, I'm just jamming and slamming, getting ready for the music box of horrors, getting ready to go to a wedding. Um, and overall just kind of getting focused in here. Well, Matt, I hope you reserved some time to read in that journey. But before we get to our main seggy of the day, I would just Why like to remind everyone that we here at Fourth Times the Charm love the spirit of giving. And as such, <laughs> if you decide to give us a five-star review and you message it over to us on our Instagram, which you can find by typing in 4ttc.org. It's also known as, as fourth times the charm official with underscores. Then you will receive in the next week, you will receive a copy of the book that we are talking Whoa. about today. And that is the city we became by NK Jemison. The three-time Hugo Award-winning and New York Times best-selling author N.K. Jemison crafts her most incredible novel yet, a glorious story of culture, identity, magic, and myth in contemporary New York. Uh, Jemison is a uh, speculative fiction writer. Um, she writes in a pseudo, like, I, I would say urban fantasy style setting, um, but I think uh, referring to it as... Um, uh, speculative fiction, I think, is a really interesting way of looking at it because it looks at specific situations and how we would respond to them. And that, I think, is the intention of the fictional presentation she has. Um, she won three Hugo Awards for a trilogy of books she wrote in a post-apocalyptic time period, also set in an urban setting, um, and won a, has also won a Nebula Award and two, three Locust Awards, including... For the novel we're talking about today, The City We Became, which won, uh, was nominated for a Hugo, nominated for a Nebula Award, and won a Locust Award. Um, so I gave Ben this homework. Um, I came across uh, The City We Became, um, not from uh, uh, Jemison's other work, who will, I will eventually and do plan on uh, reading uh, her other series and the future books in this series. Indeed. Um, but because when we were covering Stuart Gordon... Um, and H.P. Lovecraft adaptations, I wanted to try to find some modern authors um, and artists who were working within the realms of cosmic horror and with those the themes that Lovecraft created, but from more contemporary and more diverse voices due to some of the problems and some of the rhetoric that occurs in Lovecraft's work. Yeah, Lovecraft um, is a bitch. Yeah, he is. A well-articulated um, bitch. Uh, yeah, he's a, he has great prose. Um, though I will say I did listen to an in interview with Jimson, and she, did, she didn't speak too uh, like badly about, um, about Lovecraft. I expected a more condemnative kind of tone uh, around him. But even though the, she does shit on him directly the, in the, the book. The book does enough. I feel like yeah. she, she does her justice in the book. Yeah, so the, so the book tells the story of, of New York. Uh, of the city of New York, um, you know, through the reflection of the author's eyes and her deep 
love and passion for the identities and nature of New York. In the course of the novel, um, there is this world that that exists in the novel where cities that are old enough or have enough cultural identity and power um, form their own unique identities. Um, and these unique identities manifest in a physical manifestation um, that become indivi- that are based on individuals who are in said city. Um, and this ba- basically, basically, cities come to physical life a la yeah. Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, kind of. Um, like, like, like yeah, I yeah, feel like yeah, that's I mean, the simplest very... way to express it without spoiling too much. It's it's close. It's very close. And and Ben, I know you haven't read this, so uh, it's very similar to Neil Gaiman's American Gods, um, where the entities within the universe exist because people believe in them. Um, and in this instance, it takes a certain threshold um for major cities to gain those identities and we find out in the novel that new york isn't the first american city um it's actually new orleans which failed um and was killed by this otherworldly threat so like i felt i felt so bad for new orleans reading that i was like new orleans is still there you ass <laughs> it's like, but it's it's about its magical identity sure sure i know but i was i was like feeling defensive yeah for new I orleans did. while i was reading that i was like it's still good dude the whole the whole book i was reading i was like if chicago manifested it would fuck this up it would not yeah lose. right it chicago just, doesn't have time for all this bullshit no, chi- chicago's getting rid of the the intrusion instantaneously that's right um, but so so ben what tell me tell me about what you thought about the book and let, let the listeners kind of know like what the what's going on in this novel so throughout this book uh and and this is like little spoilery. We can like, we can we can we can inch into the plot and kind of what's we, happening. We'll, in the we'll story. inch into it, but yeah. this is sort of like a non-spoiler. Um, the being of New York, the city of New York, yes, has is separated into one representative of each major borough of the city. Yeah, so and Staten so the, Island, Manhattan, the Bronx, Queens, and you did it out of order. So I know I fucked it. <laughs> Manhattan, uh, Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island. Brooklyn, I forgot fucking Brooklyn. Yeah, can't forget Brooklyn. You can't. Best so part TV of the hotel for wrestling. It's, it's been part of the city I've been to almost more than any other part. So throughout the book you are following these five avatars of the city and them coming to grips with the abilities that they have uh and you see and and through them and their experiences you learn more about the neighborhoods and boroughs that they represent um and the the identities that are representative of both the good and the bad uh jimson regularly talks about how each of the boroughs was supposed to not just be a love letter to the borough, but it was supposed to represent both the best and the worst of those boroughs. If you look, if you like interpersonal dynamics in episodes mm-hmm. of Star Trek, Ugh. this is, I'm, I'm bringing it together. That's okay. Like this book features many of those same sort of dynamics, right? Okay. Whereas there is action that happens in the book, but it's really more about the dynamics between the different boroughs 
and how they approach a threat. And honestly, one of my favorite things was seeing how they interact with regular citizens mm-hmm. of New York. Um, yeah, it's, just a very, this... it, it's because they have influence over especially their borough. And it's there's like certain... I think aspects that make the series and the magic system presented and it feel really flushed out. I think that's, that's a credit to Jimson in, the, in this book in general. Cause I think a lot of fantasy books, especially urban fantasy books um, can really stumble when it comes to trying to represent um, a magic system, whether it's hard or soft. And this is kind of like a medium um, zone because the magic just kind of works. Um, I wish N.K. Jemison mm-hmm. could rewrite Stephen King's It, oh. the book, because I don't know if you've read the book, Matt. I read. I I can't stand his writing. It is Stephen King is best is like a long short story author. Yeah, I I, I still maintain Stephen King's best works are his short stories, like fourteen oh eight, fantastic. Short yeah, story. I read that. I read his short work. It is i think 1200 pages long oh oh yeah it's one of the cocaine addled ones and every chapter like this is why nk jemison succeeds where king fails and it every chapter is about a different kid very Mm -hmm. much like how the first half of the book is structured however with king's book he leaves you on a cliffhanger Mm -hmm. and then the next chapter it's like a complete hard reset to someone else in a different situation. Mm. And it's exhausting because you just, yeah, no, thank it, you. it feels like you're having to read the book over again. N.K. Jemison is so smart because she approaches what is a very complex topic. She gives you exactly what you need to know, explains mm-hmm. it in a way so that you don't really feel the need to question it. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of a chapter, you feel like you've reached a natural conclusion, but it sets up questions you want to follow up on, which yeah. is something that King's book completely fails at. Like this is, this is a bingeable book. Yeah. In, it's you, it's very respect. easy. I think it's a book you, in, in my estimate, when I, when it came to listening to it, I started and stopped it twice. So I started once I stopped and I read, I read something else and then I started it a second time. And I got through the first two chapters and I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it a bit, but I was tempted to start something else. But then I like, I was like, I said, fuck it. And then listened to all of it in like three yeah. days. And that was perfect. Um, it feels like a book that you really want to just like completely immerse yourself with. Cause it's, cause the book's almost entirely in, in real time. Yeah, it is. I mean, in the books, like aside from r- them sleeping, like the book just happens. It's a documentation of events mm-hmm. in order as they're happening, which I think is, a, is, is difficult to write in a way that, that main, t- it's difficult to write that way with multiple character perspectives and yeah. to make everything feel like it makes sense. Jim, I, I, Jimson, Jimison manages to do that. I think super well throughout the whole text. Yeah. I think Jimison's biggest strength is her ability to distill and impart uh, exposition mm, which, yeah. which i i mean that's sort of like a truism because you'd feel like any good author should be able to I do that. that but goddamn dude i read yeah. brian's winter oh yeah by by uh by uh 
Paulson, right? What's his first Robert name? Robert Paulson. Yeah, Robert Paulson. Hey, fuck that guy. His books what? suck. They're so I short. Hate, I it's hated. I hated Brian. It's like hundred fifty pages. It was a. It was. It was a slow ass hundred fifty pages. Yeah, those books are. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's not the best writer. It's okay. He's dead now. It's okay. <laughs> really. N.K. Jimison is very much alive. She it, is. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty I, sure he's dead. Not, I believe you. I I, I will Ro- say is Robert Paulson the poet. Anyway, anyway, we're 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 getting yeah. off track. Paulson is the name of the last name of the author. But I will agree. I, but I will say, Ben, to your point though, I think I I read a lot of 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 books, especially books that require exposition for the world to like make sense and be flushed out. And in a in a, in a lot of fantasy genres, there's like there's a little niche of people who are called um, exposition whores. Um, and I'm one of those people. It, it, I, there's a book series I read called He Will Fight Who He Who I, Fights. I see Monsters. we got some Jane Eyre fans in the house. Yeah. Uh, um, he you who don't fights like Monsters. Jane Eyre? Not really. No. I don't. I I hate. I really dislike classical American fiction. Like any like the, that kind of exposition, like meaningless kind of like descriptive exposition is infuriating to me really i like detailed lore i like so like in 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 he who fights monsters as an example um there's entire like halves of books dedicated to like that the author explaining like cosmic entity lore and the rules of the magic system it's literally a lesson i was gonna say and i think there are some authors he does it well but there are some like legendary authors who can mm-hmm. do exposition like no other um and you know like that to me is like drew, uh, drew hayes uh who wrote a series called superpowers which eventually i'm going to try to get you to read on the on the for the pod um is one of the most inherently amazing exposition writers and i think what where jimson does so very well is she steps into that realm of being one of those like legendary people uh um exposition writers where i would listen to them write a history book in a fantasy world um but she manages to do it concisely um it doesn't take up a ton of time or space i mean the audiobook is only 16 hours long yeah um and you you read a physical copy right yeah so and it how- took me you read about quickly. Like four days yeah and and so so it's not a super long novel. It's not like laboriously length. Um, and the way she is able to meld in and integrate all of the exposition that is needed to make this world make sense, I think, is done super well. Um, yeah, because she she knows what people don't really care about. Yeah, to some degree. My I I have a few criticisms of the text. Um, just from like my personal enjoyment. Um, which is there's there's sections of it where I wanted more and I wanted like a deeper kind of exploration of certain things to happen. Any in particular um, that come to mind? Uh, the Well, I think I think because we're going to get in another book, but like the the enemy or the lady in white, um, like we get a good amount of her like motivation. But I feel like we could have gotten a lot more of her like development. And I think we could have seen a little bit more when it comes to like Staten Island's character, but I think that's kind of done intentionally. I just wanted, I don't know. I, I, I think I just wanted more out of the, I wanted the book to be longer. 
Yeah, but the, end, I, but the ending's still like, really satisfying. So I, I don't know about reading the sequel because the ending's just kind of good. I I feel like what we got from them was good. I honestly thought we almost got too much Lady in White Ooh, at awesome. a certain point. Mm. But then again, you know, I have like real horror mentality of like you should barely see them until like the very, very end. So like I'm like way on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, for me, but depends on the depends on and, the story. This is this and, and I and and I also feel like with Staten Island, I feel like for where the story goes, it's kind of necessary for her to to have the level of involvement she has. Yeah, I think she has the right level of involvement. I just would have like I don't know, I would have just enjoyed a little bit more from each of the boroughs really. Um like more of like everyday yeah, a little stuff. bit more of like what's just like happening, yeah. but I but I think that would have been at the detriment of the pace of the novel. Yeah, it's so sort, it's, I, sort it's of... like a it's more of like a preferential critique than it is necessarily like a critique of prose or writing. If anything, I feel like that's what the sequel could open up with, which it might. Now that now that we've gotten through all of like the hard stuff to understand, now we yeah. can do a little more slice of life. Yeah, I I have a feeling the novel will probably go um like the rest of the, the series will probably be more of an exploration of the other cities um because the i mean the next book is called the world we make oh. uh which i haven't i haven't read yet um but i'm i'm curious where what direction it goes. i don't want to i don't like reading the descriptions of sequels if i like the first no. book so i haven't read it so i don't know what the pitch of it's about um yeah, I, I, I overall think this is a really good book. I mean, I'd recommend it to the people uh, listening to the podcast. I uh, comment. I have to speak quickly before we get to your review, Ben. You're like a fi- your official full review of the book, um, uh, the audiobook. So I listened to the audiobook, and our, our other co-host who's not here also listened to the audiobook. Um, did he? Part of it. Um, so Cause, this because he told. Wait, when did he tell you he read that? He told he didn't tell me he read the whole thing. He told me he but, listened to part of it. Yeah, but when did he say that? A while ago. Like, was it more than two weeks ago? I think so. I mean, I could be wrong, but it, that's that's the feeling I get. All right, I have I have some news for you off air, Matt. I don't think you're gonna like it. Well, the book is narrated um, by Robert Miles. And now um, I take audiobook presentation very seriously. I think if you're going to do something experimental and different with your audiobook, you've got to really fucking hit it. Um, and this this book, the audiobook version of uh, of the city we became, really goes for it. There are sound effects. There are like distortions and layering to the audio. Oh, that's um, really cool. Sections of the of the book are like read in verse. Um, so the like the sections that are kind of written in like that poetic, especially in the intro when you're hearing from the primary. Um, the author, the the narrative reader reads it like that. Like there's there's two types of audiobooks. There's straight reads and there's narrative reads. Narratives where you do different character voices, blah, blah, blah. But there are a huge range of how far you can take your narrative reads. And um, Robin Miles um, really fucking goes for it to the point where like when 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 they're doing the voices of certain characters, they're like actively screaming into the microphone. 
like bah, ha, ha, like getting up to these levels of like expression and intensity and like delivery and like like an aggressive amount of like gritty kind of beautiful um attitude it's just it really really kind of elevates the book i could see how it would be a bit overwhelming and i do think the audiobook when you when you listen to the opening of it when you're meeting the primary and trying to like still kind of get a grasp i can hear that uh get a grasp of the world you're in um it's really i don't want to say jarring but it's very intense um so if you are going to go and listen to the audiobook which i do recommend you do um just know that like it's it's a lot at first and then you get really you get used to it as it goes and overall um this is a big recommendation for me uh ben what did you think of the city we became i really liked it um i give it like a four out of five uh, okay probably if i had to give like a score to it the i had really one complaint with the book which is conceptually the story of the book is that each representative is the representative of that borough of like the standard person who lives there yeah and nk jemison is faced with that statement do i write what i know or do i write what's more truthful hmm and N.K. Jemison chose to do the former. So you will notice an inherent bias in the people that are represented in the book. And for the quality of the book, that's a good thing. Because they're very well fleshed out. Um, and, and they're very bright, vibrant characters. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there could have been a way to sort of angle the discussion away from like, this is the New York. Like this is what New York is Mm -hmm. because this is NK Jemison's New York, which isn't the same. And I don't, I feel Mm. like there could have been a way to, to kind of pivot a bit, but the, I feel like the, the, the thing that gets me is that the whole point of the book is Jemison is so, is so intensely hammering the point home that what you know is New York is not New York. If you want to know what the true New York is, it is this. It is what I am telling you. And if you're going to be that intense about it, you, you gotta like you gotta do it you know well, i think she does i mean i i i'm i i don't want to hit back in your on your opinion too much but like i feel like it, it's hard for us to make that argument and primarily it's because we're not from new york like we 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 don't have the exposure to like the truth of day-to-day new york life and I, I get I get your point. Like you wish there could have been more when it comes to like representing like more of New York. Okay, let sense. me put it let me put it this way. There is one Jew in the whole book who has one line of dialogue. Sure. Like 
Yeah, you wish there, there, there are more Jews in New York than there are people of any other background. And there is one Jew that says one line in the entirety of the book. Mm-hmm. Once again, Jimison probably does not know any Jewish people. And that's she, fine. She actually talked about an interview. Manny, Manny's character, I think, was originally going to be Jewish. That would have been that would have made a lot more sense. You so so what I'm hearing like you didn't feel like a part of your like your personal identity didn't feel as represented in the text because because like you identify that culture with New York and like based on statistics I I, I also see what you mean but I, like I it know seems like I know like multiple it, people who have spent extensive time yeah same in New York and I. And I don't feel like what the book shows is anything amounting to what they represent, uh, to, to to what they experienced, right? Sure. I mean, you know, so I, think... I I feel like, like in in any literary work, there's an inherent bias, right? Well, there's the author's voice. Yeah, it's the author's voice. Yes, but this book commits the cardinal sin of being like this is the objective representation of New York. And it goes out mm. of its way See, to I never, express that. That I, I never, I never personally had that kind of sense. Like I get, I, I see, see, I hearing you say it. I completely see what you mean. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I think it's a valid point of view to have on the book. Um, it just, ne- I don't know for me. It never, that never came across. Like I, I, I felt like I was in jemison's voice while reading it and to me as like a white person who's visited new york um and explored it quite a bit and i guess the people that i know who are from new york it felt close enough that like the absolutism of the way the boroughs are represented through their characters didn't feel like it was discounting anyone who is part of that city because it felt like the it was more about the personality and the culture, like just completely melding together, which didn't feel like it left anybody out, even though it, it didn't necessarily, to your point, like explicitly represent or have characters that were that. And maybe there's a chance that those things are, those themes are explored in the following book, but I, I I would need to go and I, I'd be very inter- I want to go and re-listen to J- Jemison's interview she did um, with I believe the New York Art Museum uh, the yeah the Museum of the City of New York she did like an hour long interview with them um, around the publication of this book where she kind of describes her decision making behind right. designing each of the five boroughs um, and oh well yeah the five boroughs without giving anything away from the book. Um, yeah, so it's very interesting. I I never that that never came across to me like in my like internal monologue with the book, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah. So anyway, very good book, amazing, love it. I'll read the next one, but you can't say you have a book about the character of New York and not have any Jews in it. That's just wrong. So anyway, thank you, Madam Jimison. <laughs> for your artistic contributions as we move on to an equally beautiful,
beautiful form of artistic expression, and that is music. Matt, my homework for you is shockingly related to the world of pro wrestling. You don't say. Man, but what a, since what a hard you are... transition. <laughs> We're done, aren't we? <laughs> you know we are. It's just so like it's I, just right. I thought into it. I if love you it. saw my hand movements, it felt pretty natural to me. Showing Matt pro wrestling matches. I I know Matt's a little grapple phobic. And so instead. I like grappling. What I wanted to do is I wanted to show Matt one of the most important parts of wrestling. When wrestlers decide they can be talented in multiple avenues of entertainment. And when wrestlers decide they can sing. Yes, everyone. We are looking at. 20 songs sung by pro 20, wrestlers 20, plus plus one song where he's on the guitar but okay. he harmonizes with them so it technically counts yeah he's uh, 20 20 songs made or collaborated with professional wrestlers throughout time now i i only know the context behind three of these songs oh boy well um, we'll and I, he's nice and fast. Well, I, and, uh, in the background, everyone, you can hear some beautiful clips of these songs as we run through them. So Ben, I took, I took my homework seriously. So I listened to every single song on this list twice and critically, critically rank them from worst to best. And I think, I think the best way for us to go through this here is to go through it in the amount of enjoyment I got out of these songs. Now, Absolutely. I didn't only rank them on musical quality. I did put a heavy dose of of essence into the charm pile. So and 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 there's there's three major cat I guess there's there's two major categories on this list. There are the te- poorly produced songs where there's someone talking at you. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are the well-produced songs. Now, a song being well produced does not mean it's making it near the top of the list. I just think it's an important <laughs> distinction to make between these songs. Then yes. there's also there's also the char- there's also the the other thing that really came into playing my ranking here is was one how likely was I to share the song with someone else? And how charmed or offended was we I? We didn't make it that far up the scale for most of those. No. Um, so should I should I get started here? Please do. I have also ranked these, and I will 
Okay, key yes. my rankings off of Matt's. All right, let's see. These are probably going to be very wonky lists because there is a wide disparity in music here. I'm we I I think we might line up on some of them, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna fucking find out who Matt is coming your in at number twenty favorite. in my least 21. 21, 21 in my least favorite spot. The song that hurt me the most. Which might surprise you. It's kind of a tie, but I put this one last because it was a worse song too. Which okay. is Terry Funk's Change Your Mind. That is also what I had as the worst song. Yeah, I so what I what I what I felt about this song, it's a shitty disco song. So it's set to a disco beat. Uh it's offensive. Um and he can't sing, and it's literally just him talking with occasional backing vocals. Um, and it has, it starts off with a, with a, it's similar to another, uh, song that's in high, much higher in my list. Um, with kind of like some funny talking at the beginning that was like, oh, this will be entertaining. And then it just tanks for three minutes of pain. <laughs> so Ben, what's the story behind Terry Funk's, is it, was this a Japanese release? Like what's, uh, so I, Terry Funk. Uh, by the way, 1983 was the year that he retired for the first time. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Terry Funk was approached by Jimmy Hart, who okay. uh, was part of the country music group The Gentries before okay. he went, uh, which, you know, later Montgomery Gentry, right? Same yeah. Gentries. Uh-huh. So he actually had musical success, uh, but he moved into the wrestling scene in Memphis through Jerry Lawler. Mm. Now, because of that, he would make inroads through the industry and he approached Terry Funk and he said, Hey, Terry, what if we made an album? Okay. And Terry's like, okay, uh, don't feel bad that you don't like this album, Matt. Terry Funk also hates this album. Oh, good, okay. Because he does admit that he cannot sing. <laughs> and he uh, found several of the songs on the album distasteful. Uh, Jimmy Hart provided three songs on the album. We Like to Rock. Okay. Barbara Streisand's Nose. Oh, what? And my personal favorite, and Terry Funk's least favorite, We Hate School, which is I'm like, almost sad we didn't listen to that one. It's like, I listened through the whole album, Matt. I, I gave you, there's a reason I gave you the one I gave. Okay. Because the one I gave you is a love ballad. Yeah. Sung by Terry, spoke sung by Terry Funk. Yeah, we can't and, say he sung a, a word, he just talked. <laughs> no. No, but it is bizarre hearing such a hearing like the ultimate hardcore wrestler Sing trying to win back a woman. It's it's probably not quite as strange as Terry Funk saying that he hates school and he just wants to rock and party That's with like children in the background being like, yeah, but if you ever get a chance, Matt, to listen through this whole album. Great Texan is like the opening to a TV show about Terry Funk. Oh, beautiful. And I didn't include it here because he says even less. Oh. But it's 
It's a bop and a half. Yeah. In his excellent biography, Terry Funk More Than Just Hardcore, Terry Funk says that the record I made in 1983 contains some of the most god-awful singing you've ever heard. Jimmy Hart wrote the songs for me because I was too cheap. All the songs on the album had one thing in common. They all sucked. <laughs> one of them was called I Hate School. Can you imagine who in the hell would think it would be a good idea to have a 35-year-old man singing I Hate School? So, well, Terry that's Fung's perfect. thoughts on the matter. Number 20. Well, so that might have been the worst song and least charming song but there was one song that while being somewhat well produced i will say is just kind of not kind of it is just racist um and it's really not a fun listen uh it's rap is crap by Manning and the west texas rednecks I felt genuinely uncomfortable listening. I hated. And what, this song what made like, you uncomfortable about it? How racist it is! What's racist about it? There's one thing we hate. It's rap. It's just a really. It's just a. It's them. It's them saying rap is crap, and it's an allegory for them saying they hate black people. No, the no, no, no. The whole song. No, no, I, no, okay. I do no, not believe no, okay. that Kurt Hennig okay, and the no, West you need... Texas Rednecks are not no, no, racist. No, no, Matt, you need context for this. Okay. I don't know. This is awful. I hated every second of it. Okay. I'm convinced they're both racist. No, my mind. no. What happened is that there was an angle in WCW where Kurt Hennig had a group of guys together called the West Texas Rednecks. WCW partnered with a rapper at the time, Master P and the No Limit Soldiers. And they came out on Nitro to start a televised feud with Kurt Hennig in the West Texas Rednecks because they were trying to get one of his guys trained at the power plant as a wrestler. In response to Master P and the No Limit Soldiers, Kurt Hennig and them put together the song Rap is Crap because he was a rapper. And so they had a so they had a show, which I went to, by the way, like four years old, where they had a music battle between Master P, who played one of his songs, and then the West Texas Rednecks who played Rap is Crap. It's not racist, number one. It's absolutely not racist. The only shot they take in the whole song Rap is Crap is saying rap is crap. You you, you cannot say that it's not racist. It sounds the whole tone and vibe of the song is so subtextually of no. Like there well there but there's a there's a point in time in history 
where rap as crap as an expression was co-opted by not them and used as a way of rejecting black culture and belittling it by saying it wasn't a real art form which is okay. a huge aspect of stereotypical racist behavior due to like cultural discrediting and erasure and like this song without with the context evidently is not that but when you listen to it just raw without that context and you look at the video the way the song is structured and flows sounds like they're very much being like uh, we're saying rap is crap because we want to say something a lot worse about how we really feel and we're choosing not to no no that's how it plays without the context that's how that song plays if you don't if if yeah, I can't tell you now as a listener to go back and listen to it without Ben's explanation, but try to listen to it raw. And it's it feels so like 1980s racism. This was my second favorite song. Oh, God. This is my second. Yeah, I, I grew up loving this song. Well, hey, hey, like like we learned in the city we became, individuals who are nurtured by hate sometimes don't even realize they're expressing it. Um, no, the, the West my... Texas Rednecks was Kurt Hennig's favorite time in his career. Uh, I, I don't think and, that and necessarily. This song, <laughs> this song actually got radio time, and then WCW put the kibosh on it because they were getting over his faces, and they're like, "eh," so they just took it off TV. It's not racist, man. I guarantee you, skinheads have played this song. And had a skinheads real... aren't even smart enough to get the fucking TV on to watch WCW. They don't even remember. <laughs> I'm a racist wrestling fan. Um, uh, moving on. Now, the last song was about hatred. Um, this it was next... not. It was not. <laughs> I will grind this to a halt. This Matt. this next song is about hatred for me. Now, could my number nineteen song? have been a different one yeah are there songs that are categorically somewhat worse than this one i mean yeah i can admit that but my rage knows no bounds and number nine and 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 slot number 19 the third worst song of 21 is fozzy's sandpaper featuring (laughs) m shadows a cat scratch a whiplash a witch hunting black mine was sixth from the bottom so not too far off no one likes fozzy i hate i think fozzy's really boring i think i never i never feel like jericho's like narcissistic character is less of a character than when you see fozzy play live and i've seen fozzy live twice um it's just bad it's just hilarious what do you mean chris jericho doesn't perform it's mongoose mcqueen no one likes Fozzy. Um, <laughs> so, fuck this song. Uh, M Shadows is cool on it. There's a couple good riffs. Um, but it's Fozzy. Yeah, we don't need to spend a lot of time on the this. Best, uh, the best. Chris, the, Chris Jericho made one tolerable song in his life. And this is like. Sings it every sa- night. Sandpaper is the one that's supposed to be the other good one. And I listened to it. I was like, this is the most boring yeah. fucking it's, song it's, later. It's this nothing. on my list. I have ranked where anything before this mm-hmm. is just unlistenably wretched. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to get to one of those uh, wretched songs here now, Ben. Um, coming in at number 18 
is Jillian Hart's uh, Hall's WWE theme, Sliced Bread. I ranked this higher than Saint Paper. <laughs> well, I did too. I ranked it one higher. Because um, I, I, I ranked it too higher, actually. Because at least they were trying to make it bad. Yeah. So Jillian Hall was... First, she was JBL's personal assistant, and the joke was she had a giant mole on the side of her face okay. that the boogeyman ate off. I think I remember that. Yep. Uh, and then, after that, uh, she became a Britney Spears ripoff, most people think. Other people think that Vince McMahon wanted to make fun of Brooke Hogan's failing singing career. And so she modeled Jillian Hall after Brooke Hogan, who was modeled after Britney Spears. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, talk about a pot shot. So uh, we got Jillian Hall, who not only did she sing her own theme song, which is the most fully fleshed out of her music, mm-hmm. but she also had an entire Christmas album. Is it that bad? It's I, I there's a this is the best of her songs. Amazing. I I, I listened I, through the whole Christmas album twice, Matt. Well, what this what this song got for me was I I wrote this as I was listening to it. This song is legit getting heel heat on her. Um, <laughs> it, it and I even said it felt like that was the point, and I still hate it. Um, gave me a, legitimately gave me a headache, but still better than Fozzy. Um, yep. Yep. Moving on. I think I think we're about to disagree on this one, Ben. In the number 17 spot, 1986's Wrestle Rock Rumble. With the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty. We love to wrestle. And we love to party. You don't have to worry. We're not going to bumble. Because we'll, we'll be shaking, shaking through the, the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! Wrestle Rock. I actually had this one past Jillian, so you and I are kind of synced up here. You got like a batch of songs at the back end that I don't have. Um, yeah, this was this was genuinely a, a, an overfilled kind of boring song. I hate the um, I hate the like white dude rapping commercial thing that was popular for a while. Like the I ain't got like. My name's Jimmy, and I'm here to say I like rapping in a fun way. This is who I am. This is how I rock. Who wants to have some fun with my socks? My name's Sean, and my name's Marty, and we're here because we like to party. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. It's just it's funny if it was if it was a minute long, or like 90 seconds, and it was just really fast. I would have ranked it a lot higher, but it really overstayed its welcome. So you have to understand, Matt. The Wrestle Rock Rumble was used to create uh, to promote Wrestle Rock, the upcoming signature show by the AWA in that was, 1986. That was actually cool. It's three years after the AWA had Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania running through the company, running wild, and it was about two and a half years before this. That Vern Gagne did not want to give Hulk Hogan the world title, so Hogan jumped over to Vince. So AWA is on the way down, and they wonder, how do we promote this upcoming event? By singing, of course. And so you see some of the top stars of the 90s, Shawn Michaels, Scott Hall, Kurt Hennig, and they're singing their little tushes off. 
Marty Jannetty's also there. And just seeing, yeah. like, like this is one of the most famously bad wrestling songs mm -hmm. of all time. This is the only song that isn't, that never played on the radio, to my knowledge, or was part of an album. Every other one is. Okay. And so I just, I love this song for how terrible it is, but you can't rank it above any other functionally competent song. It's still better than Sandpaper, though. Yeah, it's still better than Fozzie. That's the key to remember. All of these songs are still better than Fozzie. And speaking of being better than Fozzie, we come to a song. Again, I think we might just, I'm getting the feeling you might like this one, but I really hope not. Three count the WCW theme song. It's it's my eighth favorite. How? What? How are there seven? How are there only seven things better than like the worst? It's version? catchy as hell. No, it's not. It's not catchy. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together. No, it, no, it's shitty. Sing along with three count. We'll party on forever. You're better we at like singing the than they are. Boys in sync too. Britney Spears is kind of cute. We All watch right, so GR the next song on my list. Uh, Everybody three count USA. one, two, three. This was one, one of the first two, songs that three. actually had something redeeming about it. I'm uh, gonna see if that lines up with the song and layer it in. I bet you I hit it right so, on the line. It's so just, I grew up with the song. Street, they were like. It's awful. It's shitty Christian boy band music. I, I heard a Backstreet Boys cover band but that's play the at point. a corporate three event. Count, three Count as a team was a Backstreet Boys like band who also happened to be wrestlers. Yeah, 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 but, yeah but I didn't watch that shit. And I don't give a fuck, so it sucks. It without without being there and being like eleven, like if I was like six years I was old, five. I I amended it to six. If I was six years old and you put that on for me, I'd probably still hate it because I had good taste at six years old. But it was at least you know, I could see it. But it's just it's just boring. And it's it's not even like fun bad. We'll get to fun bad. The only good part is the three, and that's only good because of the indie ref we saw that would do the two. Um, yeah, and they can kind of sing, still better than Fozzie. Um, it's actually Jimmy Hart singing, the same guy who did the Terry Funk album. Is it really? He's yeah. doing. <laughs> that's why we yeah. he did all the vocals. <laughs> yeah, he's singing for like a bunch of twenty year olds. Anyway, next up. <laughs> well, the next song is uh, is brought to you by Michael Hayes and the fabulous Freebirds, Bad Street USA. I My number three. Oh my god! Like destroy. This is this is you're destroying my my faith in you as a music fan. 
Um, I mean, it's 80, it's 80 stadium rock. Um, so so, so before, you, really before you sing, explain it, it's more before you explain it, Matt, uh, the fabulous Freebirds were the uh, sworn enemies of the Von Erich family. So whereas they were like the good old-fashioned Texas boys, uh, the fabulous Freebirds are from the mean streets of Atlanta from Bad Street. So they're a bunch of bad dudes. They used no, to come I, out I got to, that from the music video. Yeah, they used to come out to Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Mm. Uh, but they were one of the first guys to use theme music at all. And then in the late 80s, uh, they went ahead and made this, which became their new theme song for like TV and the like, Bad Street USA. Well, Bad Street USA is basically just like an 80s stadium rock song yeah it's it's competently made um it's well done it's it's just the most generic one on the list so it's right kind of smack in the middle for me Mm. um yeah it's i mean it's fine he can't sing so it it lost a lot of points it would have been higher um yeah, it's it's I what I said is it's like the fourth move it's like the fourth movie in a slasher series quality. Yeah. 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 It's it's just there. It's fine. It doesn't hurt me. I'm never going to listen to it again, but I'm not upset. Well, what do you um, consider a better song, Matt? Well, what I consider a better song. And now this song also falls into the category of just being kind of generic and boring, but the artist can sing better than the last one, which is Maria Canellis's Seven Sins. This is fourth from the bottom. Wow, I, really? I considered this worse than Sandpaper. So You're like Maria Canellis, she never released a full album. She released an EP. I get and it. This is the uh, th- this is the title track of the album. It's basically just an Avril Lavigne song. It's completely soulless. There's not much to say, but it's well produced and she can sing. Okay. Uh, I don't think I need to add more. Um, no. The next song, um, while also having a little bit limited amount of discussion on, is from a band I really like. Um, a band I've seen live before and was really, really confused why they were on the list. And that's Every Time I Die, Think... <laughs> thing with feathers now so, so a, what 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 number is this on the list for you matt um this is number 13 or number 12 for me then all right the so we're, we're 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 about the same then because yeah, i have it right in 11. the middle yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is, it's fine it's it's mostly boring uh but every time i die is a good band so it's well played uh I think there's a trend here where Ben finds bands that I enjoy and then picks my least favorite songs by them, uh, which I really dis. I don't. I really don't like this song. By every time I die, but they're such a good band that they make me not hate it as much as everything else that came previously on the list. This one might have ranked a little higher um, compared to one other song um, that's ahead of it, and I and I kind of regret putting it there. But I, my list is official. Um, yeah, so this this was good. This was fine. Every time yeah, I die is much better songs. Uh, the, Who's the, in it? The lyrical guitarist is Andy Williams, who wrestles in AEW right now as the Butcher. Has from he the always Butcher and the Blade. been in the band? 
He was in the band before he became a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying he's he always is like has he been in the, has he been in the band for their whole yeah time as a band? Okay. Yeah, so he trained as a wrestler, oh. got injured, the band took off. Okay. And then yeah, I've def I've definitely seen him perform live then. Me too. I, just I, not for the same thing. I've seen every time I die live like three or four times. They put on a great show. And moving on to another one. Now, this is the first in the bunch that I was like, kind of like, I was like, I had a good time listening to it. And I think based on, on your previous rankings, this might be your number one. Coming in at my number 11, we'll call it, is I want to be a Hulkamaniac. This is my third from the bottom. Wow! I yeah. like this song. I See, this one, unlike that fucking three-count song, is actually <laughs> is actually catchy. It's got a good time to it. I, I literally, like, listen to it. I'm bobbing my head. I'm jamming. Um, I think Hulk Hogan's an actual, like, somewhat talented singer. Um, no way. Yeah. You talking about speak singing and you mention Hulk Hogan? He's better than the other ones at it. Um, I I like this one. This one's talking fun. about white dudes talk rapping. Yeah, but he's funny. It's it's entertaining. It's got a great message. It just wants you to be a good person. I I, I like it. I'm down. I, he, I, he think, hold? I think this is appallingly terrible. <laughs> uh, it's Hulk Hogan trying to instill messages in children yeah, of I being nice, it. not doing drugs, basically doing everything that Hulk Hogan ever did in his life. Yeah, yeah which is hilarious. So, like, it's, I I mean, it's hilarious as hell, but I feel like the instrumentation they use in it is practically unlistenably terrible. Oh. That's what I like. Like, like to- it is, it is musically the equivalent of the Jillian Hall song. No, no, I think the music part of it actually holds up. To me, that's the part of the of the song that I'm like, oh no, I can get around, I can get behind that. It kept me, it kept my head a bopping. All right, it's still well, better than five. Agree to disagree. All we're, right. we're filling out our differences here. All right, I see. let's see here. My number ten spot, a song that I thought was good was well-produced, was well-performed, but the lyrics were a bit low effort, which kept it from getting a higher spot. This is Elias, the ballad of every town I've ever been to. I had this ranked one better than Fozzie. Really? I Yeah. I think I, this is as low effort as a Fozzie song, but I don't hate Elias while he's singing it as much as I hate Chris Jericho. So I feel like it was such a fun opportunity 
Yeah, and they the, really just squandered it. That I agree to with. To be like, like it should have been like, uh, like Motley Crue with Girls, Girls, Girls. But instead of talking about like, oh, this is the strip club I went to. It's like, this is why this town is trash and why yeah. this town is trash. I agree. It's low and, effort. And like, it's so low effort. It's really generic. And but Elias. Like single guitar. But oh, I like single guitar songs but i think elias has a good voice and this is like really well sure. produced that's that's it it, it gets a 10 spot because it wasn't offensively just, just for made. Being functional yeah, yeah it's functional compared it's functional it doesn't piss me off which i think is 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 hard for this list to achieve um but we're getting to the point in the playlist where i'm actually enjoying a lot of these songs and coming in at number nine is a, a another great stadium rock kind of love jam. Um, I think, yeah, it's a love song. Uh, Roddy Piper's I'm Your Man. 1990s, 1998. Okay. I had this ranked one worse than Sandpaper. Well, this is so much better than Fozzie. This is the only song that Roddy Piper ever sang, as far as he I'm aware of. He's not a bad singer. It's a functional song. But I mean, I've heard the same song made by like 70 people. But like, it's got a lot of charm to it, especially because it's Roddy Piper. See, like, I feel like it has no charm to it. Like when I'm listening to it, it sounds like Roddy's dying in the well, sound. So, so I watched the music video and that got a lot of points. Sure, sure. Like okay, that, the music video helps. The the music video. If I had just listened to this without the video, I think it would have been lower. But again, when I when I was putting this yes, on the list, yes, it would, Matt. It I definitely was, would. I was looking at everything else that came before it, and I would actually listen to this song again. Like I'm listening to it right now, and you know I'm not I'm not upset about it. Well, I'm glad, Matt. I'm glad. What? Wait, what are you following that hot take up with? Well, I'm going to follow it with a hot, hotter take. There's You have not chosen my second least favorite song Oh, yet. we're going to get there. Um, this next one, which I think, and, and I'll, I'll put this hot take, of all the white people rapping on this album, on this playlist, <sighs> maybe the second best. I think firmly... The second best, and, and I genuinely enjoyed this song. This is one of the only ones I went back and listened to more than once, um, like with with love, is Be a Man by Macho Man Randy Savage. Huh. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulkster, whatever they call you, I'm coming after you, you coward. I'm digging it Danger filled, you get some respect. So come on, Hulk, let's wreck so I can put you in check. Be a man, Hulk. 
This is my favorite song out of all. Of yeah! This is my number one. Just this because, is a great song. So what happened is that WCW goes out of business, and Macho Man's looking for a payday. Mm-hmm. And so he challenges Hulk Hogan publicly to not a wrestling match, Matt, okay. to a shoot fight. Hell yeah. He promises, he, he wants Hogan to face him in a shoot fight with the proceeds going to charity. Naturally, Hogan is like, fuck this. Yeah. He ignores all of it. And Macho's like, oh, he's ducking the Macho Man, yeah. Were they actually going to do a shoot fight or were they going to work it? I think they were going to work it, yeah. probably. But Hogan's trying to, like, go back to Vince right now. Go for, like, the merch, you know? Mm-hmm. So, in response to Hogan's lack of response, Macho Man releases his rap album, Hell yeah. Be a Man, which was just recently re-released on vinyl. Oh, I gotta get a copy. And it is... One of the the whole album isn't bad. He has a nice tribute to Kurt Hennig in it called "The Perfect Friend." Uh, the rest of the songs are kind of eh, but "Be a Man Hulk" is like distilling Macho Man's energy in a wrestling promo yeah. into a rap. It's competently produced enough yeah. to where like you can actually get into it, and well, it's catchy as hell. Macho Man actually has flow. He's got he, fucking Not only flow. does he have flow, he has one of like the biggest disses in rap history. Okay. He says, they call you Hollywood? Don't make me laugh because your movies and your acting skills are both trash. Your movie straight to video, the box office can't stand. Well, I got myself a feature oh, role in, in Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, I, like, I, I damn, wrote that down. Fucking ethered him. And he's right, too. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote this is the best wrestling right. diss track ever made. So I, this is what this is the groundwork for what the acclaimed is doing today. This is yeah. Yeah, it is. So be a man is so unfathomably fun and great. Yeah. I'm like, this is the best one. I've listened to it like five times uh-huh. in the last week. Likewise. Just like between his voice and the fucking, uh, moi. All right. Well, I, this was not the top of my list. So we have a lot more to go. Yeah. So, some of the, the ones that you ranked above this, I'm shocked by. So the next one, and I think this because it took me by surprise as I was listening to it. This is, argue like one of the best produced one and i was pleasantly surprised by the quality of the singing despite it being pretty auto-tuny and generic and basically just being a taylor swift song but man for this playlist pop made it high on my list this is lillian garcia your girl to the end of the world i don't think she auto-tuned any of that She's just a good singer. Yeah, she's just a really fabulous singer. The song itself is nothing. Yeah, it's right? generic, but it's a lot more than Maria Kanellis's piece of nothing. Yeah, Lillian Garcia has one of the best singing voices I've yeah. ever heard in my it's life. It's beautiful. And one, one of the pleasures of going to so many wrestling events is I got to hear her sing uh, uh, the National Anthem or America the Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Lillian Garcia sang America the Beautiful at WrestleMania. And okay. no matter what guest they've ever had do it, Lillian Garcia sang it better Hell than yeah. any of them. Like, when she hits that high note, it's incredible. Like, genuinely magical yeah. performer. 
while singing. She's a tremendous um, singer. Yeah, the song itself is nothing, and her singing career flamed out, which is a shame. But, That's really unfortunate. But, like, like her just natural singing voice is truly incredible. I'm, like, like, definitely the best singing voice I've ever heard live. That's amazing, I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who would have been better. Well... That was a, a. This is the start, starting with Lillian Guns here, where I am like genuinely impressed by all the songs. Um, the next one, the one that re, it's one. There's really took, one in here, Matt, which I'm just scratching my head over. <laughs> this next one really took me by surprise. Um, I really enjoyed it. This is the Lucha Gores. It's just a good thrashy punk song. It's just a solid. The vocals aren't great. It's not super super well produced. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I would genuinely enjoy seeing this song live. I know nothing about who the Luchagors are. Amy looks like she's doing She-Hulk cosplay in the picture. Yeah, the um, Luchagors is a band that is helmed by Lita. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, shit. So when you were like, I really like the Luchagors, I'm like, I'm not surprised. Hey. Um, the Luchagors were never very well received in the wrestling community not surprised i i find the lyrics pretty grating really uh but i I, this was like a middle of the pack song for me i thought it was fine i thought this was i listened to their other songs and this is the one i found the best of them oh really okay yeah i mean like you can listen to the rest if you want i will i I gladly i genuinely like this band but i think they're actually they pull off their sound well yeah this song is just her saying i'm a bastard constantly and then i listened to all the other songs and it was like i am a blank i'm such a blank so like you know diminishing returns sure yeah which is true for a lot of punk bands now we're, we're back to the trend of ben putting a band on the playlist that i like but picking one of my least favorite songs of theirs this is God's Hate's God's Hate from the album God's Hate. This is Brody King's hardcore band. Um, they're a legit hardcore band. Um, they're really good. They have some really great bops. Um, this necessarily isn't one of them, um, but it's still a really good song. And for a, a playlist with a bunch of shit songs on it, a nice dose of like legit hardcore was really refreshing. Um, but to me, this just highlights the worst part about God's Hate as a band, and then unfortunately, it's Brody King singing. Um, I don't I thought it was fine. I don't like this style of hardcore vocals, but the music itself is so is so good in my taste that I I ranked it this high. I ranked it between Lillian Garcia and Three Count. I'm. You make me question every decision you've ever. There made. is one song you still have not mentioned yet, I and think at this I... point, I'm I'm wondering if you just missed it. No, I think or... I, I think I know what song you're talking about. <laughs> it's coming later. It's oh coming boy, there's much... not much later left here. Yep, my number five pick. This is another one that I was really surprised by. Um, and at first when it started, I was like, eh, this one's going to be kind of low, but it really saves itself. It pulls itself together, especially by the end, which is rolling Sabbath. I guess the theme song 
for the Crush Gals. Sung by the Crush Gals. Okay. Which, Matt, of course you know about from listening to the episode Monty and I did. Yeah, I know uh, everything about them. Japanese women's wrestling. The Crush Gals are the like the two most famous female wrestlers in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the most famous ones ever. Okay. Uh, they were at the center of the cultural touchstone that was all Japan women's in the 80s. And then um, most of the people who went to those shows mm-hmm. were school-age girls. Okay. And so they see these two diminutive women who kind of look like them. Like they had like short schoolgirl, yeah. like Bobby hair, and they were pretty short and they were in their 20s. And they were like, these are our girls. And Hell so yeah. they released, of course, an idol esque album. Uh, and out of both their albums I listened to, I feel like their theme song is honestly the best one. Most of the songs yeah. are pretty low key. But this one is just a bop and a half. Uh, yep. With Linus Asuka and Chigusa Nagayo singing their hearts out. It's a Crush! Great song. I, I, my favorite note I wrote about this song is sometimes all you need to do is insert a list of moves and then play a guitar solo. Um, yes, it's they, they sing like broken English and it's very endearing yeah. and, and well done. It's know. well done. It, it reminds yeah. me a lot of like Giant some, Swing. <laughs> it's just some good like Japanese rock and roll like 70s pop rock db um now coming up for that i think i believe this might be another theme song i'm not but that sure. was my number five as well okay so, okay so let's see if we want number four is honestly a song that i will listen to a lot more than the rest of my top three um and desperately want to listen to the rest of this artist's works it's uh maki ito's brooklyn the whole Yes, this is the English version. Okay. Maki Ito is a Japanese Joshi wrestler who was originally part of an idol group. And oh, you know really? how cutthroat that industry yeah. can be. So they said she wasn't pretty enough and they cut her. So Maki Ito instead went into pro wrestling where she became a little goblin failed idol who needs everyone to tell her she's pretty. She really and wants so, to wrestle John Moxley. Yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, the original song she had was Brooklyn the Hole, but she's become incredibly popular in America, so she's been mm-hmm. making more dates here, and uh, she has now debuted an English version of the song, which is the one I had you listen to. If you're actually reading the lyrics, it's a very somber, depressing song about surviving in brooklyn during an attack or something it's like really strangely heavy but it's hyper as hell i i had this as my number six it's got such a crush gals thing just a bit more it's got such a good tone it's just really really nice um all right are you ready for my number three ben i sure am 
I'm looking at this top three, two of the three I get, and one of them I am at a loss for words. <laughs> Number three is now, I don't know if this person's, it would be like objectively a better singer than Lillian Garcia, but this artist genuinely blew me away. Uh, this is Mickey James's no. Somebody's Gonna Pay. I love this song. This was my second lowest ranked song out of all of these. Yeah, I genuinely, I listened to this three times. I listened to it a second time and then I was like, well, it can't be actually good. So I listened to it a third time. She's a great singer. She's got such a good voice. She's got character. She's got good rhythm. The music is super simple. But it was so refreshing on this list. You're upsetting my cat, man. Good. It was... It, I genuinely, I had a good time listening to this. I mean, it's super generic, but, like, it's so well-performed. I it got points. The, I thought the whole thing... The music video I watched alongside this, and it yeah. was Mickey James beating up her current husband, Nick Aldis... Who's? I mean, like the music video is laughably bad. Yeah, it's horrible. Isn't it though? It's. I think. I think her singing is perfectly cromulent. I think it's fine. I have a harder time with the fact that this is like that, like new age country stuff, which yeah. like says a bunch of nothing. I like. I felt like I was being lobotomized while listening to this song. It is the most vapid I nothing. Think- I felt soulless while listening to this. It is the most, like, trash, uninspired, just let's I will... throw lyrics on a board and hope something sticks. Sure. Now, I, I think I... I think one of my problems with this is I listened to this song directly after listening to the Terry Funk song. Oh, that's cheating. And there is such, it was such a breath of fresh air that it really jumped up the list. Now, that... No. that there's not there's not too much to say about Mickey James, but there's a lot. And I the mean top two here is a wild. lot to say about my number two track. Now, I have listened to this song, I think, more than any of the others. And I have like I have now played this song for other people. It is Fred Blassie. The King of Men. I want to tell all you people just one thing. You know there's plenty of men around, but just one king. You can go through life acting mean and sassy, but you better play it cool when you come around blasting. And that goes for all you women, living or dead, you best watch your step when you're messing with Fred. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. My name is Lassie, King of Men. You can, go, you can go through life acting mean and sassy, but you better play a cool when you come around bassy. What an amazing song! Yeah, so oh. he has a classy Freddie Blassie was a wrestler in like the 60s and 70s. He became one of the first crop of WWF's managers. Okay. Um, 
and him alongside the likes of Captain Lou Albano would really introduce like the big colorful characters that would become standard in the WWF. So very important for the history of the promotion. In 1983, okay. Blassie, uh, known for calling people pencil neck geeks, <laughs> he does it multiple times in the song, would release the uh, album, uh, which is uh, Blassie Bites the Songs, I think it is. And I listened through the whole album. It's a hoot and a half. Yeah. Uh, but this is the one I thought was the best out of all of them, which is just Freddie Blassie cutting a promo yep. to talk himself up with, like, Western-esque music in the background. It's just a promo. It, yeah, it's a promo, and they work music around it, and that makes it fucking awesome. Yeah. This was, like, this was almost in my top five. This was in my number one slot from the moment I heard it until my number one song played. And it was the only thing. There was only one person who could assert the best. And what is his name? That is a it's a man you can't even see. He's beyond determination. He loves potato salad. It is probably a song hated by so many people. Probably an a person that was largely hated by so many people. But like the WWE audience, boy does time make the heart grow fonder. This is John Cena's bad, bad man. Oh, you done did it now. Chaos, you should have put this one in the vault, man. They not ready. They don't know what's coming, man. Oh, we gonna drop this on them right here. Y'all ain't ready for this. Y'all ain't ready for none of this. Your boy's a bad man. Then we invading the streets. Make them clap a rapper's skirt. They be dropping the heat. Shock the world. Now I'm standing alone. I flip fools like them clamshell cellular phones. Without a doubt, the best music video on the list. Without a doubt, one of the best performed songs on the list. And that's because John Cena, I think, per- performs one verse and the opening chorus. And then so doesn't sing why- for the rest of the song. And the rest of the song is really good. So that's why I didn't have this song ranked higher i had this as my number four song okay all right all just right. because i was like because i think this is the best song scene has ever done yeah right i think this is way better than my time is down it's better I had than the, anything else on i album. had i had the cd in my car as a kid yeah and this is the best one uh but he's only in the song for the first like 90 seconds and then yeah. he is gone he and literally makes the he stops singing at 138 and yeah. never sings again. Yeah, and and like his part is very good too. Yeah. But it's it's like almost not a John Cena. They're like, guys, we need one really good song on this album to point to. And so they went with this. And hey, fair enough. It's a great fucking song. Well, and I think what really pushed it up even higher in in the ranks, like the music video is just so good and so fun. That it made it just that much better. And that is my official list. Well, just so we have some clarity, my bottom five okay. were Roddy Piper, Maria Kanellis, Hulk Hogan, Mickey James, and then Terry Funk. Terry and Funk's undeniable. Top five, Crush Gals, Badman, Bad Street USA, Rap is crap and be a man. 
I don't know how you... I, I hate rap as crap. Just pisses me off. It's a good fucking song, Matt. I, I appreciate your opinion. It's not racist. It feels really racist. You had to have been there. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, I, I Had sure. to have been there. We all had a good laugh over it. I'm sure you did. We, we all sure did. Well, we got Monty coming next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout all this, I didn't, I didn't put together something for 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 you to watch. But Matt, oh. do we have something that collectively we want to make Monty watch for next week? We actually have two things that <gasps> Monty are gonna have to watch next week. Now, one of them was inspired by a little adventure that Ben and I shared. Uh, ben and I together took a trip up to the northern woods of Wisconsin and decided to spend way too much time bothering our significant others looking through the DVD sections in a large antique store. Now, we came across this movie assignment while looking through that store, but we decided to not get it. We got the extended edition of uh, uh, The Wicker Man instead. God, I wish we could go back to that place. We can. You just have to come and visit again. That's on you. The The movie that I want to recommend is one of the most important movies in um, kind of full core and early horror. It is the 1922 film Haxon by Benjamin Christen. And it's free on YouTube. Yep, free on YouTube. So, so if you're out there, I, w- I would love it if you join us in our homework watching this 1922 film um that was that was put up by the old film revival project um it's a really incredible film uh it's a very unique film in the history of cinema and i highly recommend all of you go and seek it out and it's the 101 anniversary of the release of Haxon. um so go and check it out now ben there's something else we have on the docket for Monty. Can you tell our, our listeners what that is? There very much is. I went ahead and I checked our Instagram account. And I learned that Matt had not checked all of his messages. Because we received a very special link to a short film that you can only gain access to by answering three of your favorite horror movies and Instagram DMing them to the director of this 30 minute short film. Matt, what is the name of this short film? It is 12 KM or 12. We're going to talk about 12 KM. We're going to talk about Haxon. It's a cinematic masterpiece Next week, <gasps> next time, when the fourth time's the charm, good night. Good morning. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us everywhere. Try to win a free book. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.